Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Matthew 25 starting with verse 14. And last Sunday we covered the parable of the minas. It was a parable about stewardship. Sometimes Jesus would speak to people directly and they weren't listening or they were distracted and he would tell these parables, like these stories, um, and use earthly illustrations to illustrate a, a spiritual truth. So in the parable of the minas, the whole idea behind the story was stewardship. Uh, Everybody got the same mina. You know, everybody gets one life. Everybody's life is precious to God. Everybody gets the same word of God, the same salvation. You know, although you can see it in churches, there really is no difference between believers. We're all equally as important to God and equally as important to the kingdom of heaven. Today we're going to be in the parable of the talents. Now, sometimes people, I think I'm going to run a class after all this is over, because they get confused with the parable sometimes and they try to take the symbolisms of one and interject it into another one and it doesn't work. Every time Jesus taught, he would use a contextual issue. Was it at the beginning of his ministry? Was it at the end of his ministry? Was he talking to his disciples? Was he talking to the crowds? So there was a contextual issue. In the parable of the talents, very similar, these two parables, but with some very stark differences which we're going to cover. So if you weren't here last Sunday, after the the message today, you can get it for free online, and hopefully it'll fill in some of the gaps as I refer back to the parable of the minas. But the parable of the talents, everybody got a different amount of talents versus everyone getting the same mina. So I'm going to try to make sense of that, that all. It really spoke about using the blessings we've been given, the abilities, the resources, uh, stewardship-wise, to further the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look at this in seven parts. So as we jump in, in verse 14, Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So first out of seven is the symbolism. We always start with the symbolism. If you understand the symbolism, uh, you can understand the story that Jesus or the idea that Jesus is trying to convey here. Similar to the parable of the Minas, the man is traveling to a far country. Now, if you look at John 14, in both of these parables, it has John 14 written all over it. So starting with verse 2, Jesus told his disciples... In my Father's house. Now, he was on the earth talking to them as he was saying this. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go. I'm going to heaven. He's preparing them for his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Constantly preparing his followers, preparing them. Because it's a little bit of psychological trauma that they're going to experience watching their Messiah be crucified on this cross. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. So now he's in heaven. He's, this is cool. He's been preparing a place for all of his believers for quite some time. You know, I like my home. I'm a homebody, but I'm really interested to see what 
my new place is going to look like. Uh, I won't have to do roof work. I won't have to fix cracks in the foundation. So I'm, I'm all for that, okay? I'm getting tired, you know what I'm saying? He goes, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, and that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. So this is pretty cool. The servants are believers for 2,000 years, right? And they also, it also applies to us, and we're going to see that this morning. And delivering his goods, or the talents, different from the meanness. Mean is everybody got the same amount. Everybody got one. Here, each believer has a different amount of talents. Very important. And this is based on ability. Now, a talent back then was a unit of weight. But it was a monetary value because if it was a unit of weight of gold, actually it's pretty expensive. And it wouldn't be uncommon for Jesus to live in, this, in the world, in the Roman Empire, where you had very wealthy people who had servants. He housed them, he cared for them, he fed them. And when he would go away and do business, he would actually give them money and have them do business. You know, he, there were some that were like the, the foremans, the managers. Um, there were some, some that could really be counted on, and he would give them money, and they would do business while he was away. He, it, it almost became like a family situation, although he was the boss. Our word talent, this is interesting, our English word, if you look it up, you look at the etymology of the word, it does come from the Greek word, in this parable, talenton. So it's a transliteration, so to speak. It's the same word, changed a little bit. And what this means is, and, and we all have this, folks. We have time. Everybody has time. Eventually time is going to stop, and we're going to live in eternity. We won't age anymore. The problems that come with time won't be there, but we all have time. What do we do with our time? And we have to ask ourselves this question as well. Is all of my time spent on me? Do I consider others? Do I do anything to further the kingdom of heaven? So we all have time. We all have some amount of money. Some of us have authority. Some of us have, and I have to differentiate the Greek word from the English word, some of us have talents, natural gifts and abilities, and also opportunities. God gives us opportunities to further his kingdom. Every believer has been blessed with a God-given mandate or ministry and to use those resources. Now, in the parable of the minas, he says, the master or the, the Lord says to his servants, do business until I come. Now, the Greek word, check out the root as I say the word. It's a big word. The Greek word is pragmatuomai. Where do we get the word pragmatism from? To be pragmatic. So, in other words, when we do the things for the Lord or we further the kingdom or we tell people about this coming kingdom that's going to come and you really want to jump on that boat and get off of this one because that one's eternal this one's just marred with sin and that one also has God at the head of it, okay? It's, 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 we're not killing ourselves to do it. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It just, for many of us, it just comes naturally. Because we're not stressing, we're not striving, we're using God's gifts that He's given us and His Holy Spirit to have this actually work. What's really amazing is that we, have, we were born, and as we grow, you know, everyone has a different brain that functions differently. We all have physical or temporal gifts, abilities, right? But when we become Christians, we're also given spiritual, a spiritual set of gifts and abilities, 
Now you can look at this, and, and if you're a new believer or not a believer at all, you say, wow, well, where, do, where do I find this? Well, you can find it in 1 Corinthians 12. You can find it in Romans 12. You can also find it in 1 Peter 4. You've been a Christian for a while. Maybe it's something that you pray about. Gee, I, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Hey, let me look through that list. Hey, maybe a, another believer, a solid believer, a friend can go through it with you, and maybe they can tell you the gift that they see that you might not see. Now, I mean, I'll just give you an example. So, me personally, um, physical, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I hesitate to say this because my wife is in the back and she thinks I can fix anything. She gives me broken pottery that's in 10 pieces and says, can you put this back together? So um, I'm letting the cat out of the bag. I'm good at fixing stuff. <laughs> I have a lot of neat tools and stuff. And, uh, I, so sometimes I tinker around here and fix things in the church. Nothing spiritual about it, but I'm using a natural ability to further the kingdom of heaven, right? Makes sense. Saving the church money so it could, use, could be used elsewhere. Now let's, let's go from physical to spiritual. God's blessed me with the gift of evangelism. That even in hostile situations, I enjoy sharing the word. I enjoy talking to people about salvation. One's of the earth, one's of the spirit, if I wasn't born again, I wouldn't have that gift. So I have two of them, but I try to use them as best I can to further God's kingdom because I know what's going to happen after this. Honestly, it would be a waste to go through life. It would be a waste of our life. And before I was a Christian, this was me. So I'm just going to say it. To use our resources, our abilities, just to do things for ourselves. Just to make ourselves happy. Just to make our lives more comfortable. It's the shallow person that looks to take all the resources and give it to the person in the mirror instead of considering blessing others or using it to God's glory. We continue, verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. Two more also. So two out of seven is the increase. Similar to the parable of the Minas, two of the servants were faithful. They were dependable. They multiplied the talents given to them. And the middle guy, this is very important, the middle guy with the two talents was no less important than the guy with the five talents. That's very, very important. I'm going to read an article. Just out of curiosity, if you raise your hand, how many of you are familiar with the pastor? Um, big, big ministry, wrote books and stuff. Francis Chan. Anybody? So a good number. Really, really great guy. I'm going to read a, a very remarkable article. I've been talking about things for a few months from this pulpit, and then I read the article, and I just love to see that confirmation by the Holy Spirit. But some think, and again, in the age of, of glitter, in the age of you know, performances, and unfortunately getting into, the, into ministry and Christianity, people see that and think, well, what can I do? That's the problem. That's the problem I have. But you don't know. You know, I can tell you from being on the inside, some of these bands or uh, big-known pastors charge five figures or more just for an hour to come to a church. I'm not going to waste your tithe money for that. I can just tell you that right now. But, don't, you know, you think they have a, a, a hundred talents. Maybe it's all a self, self-centered thing. So understand, if you've got one talent, if you've got two talents, three talents, don't look at the others where you think that they have more talents. Use what God has given you. That's the blessing in all this. Verse 18. 
But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Three out of seven is the lazy servant. He takes the talent. He takes his master's money. We take our abilities that God has given us and we hide it away from the rest of the world. And see, that's the sad thing because we as believers are supposed to show the world, this world, the next world. So to hide the talent and not use it is really disobedience. It's willful disobedience, especially if we go to a church where we understand what the Scripture says. Verse 19. After a long time, that's key, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So four is the day of reckoning. Faithfulness, dependability, reliability. Not based on portion, but based on proportion. See, we live in a supersize me generation. Bigger is better. I actually taught a message once called bigger is not always better. We can't apply that to the things of God. It's stumbling, and again, it, it causes a caste system in the kingdom, and that doesn't exist. doesn't exist at all. We see egalitarianism. We see equality in the Scripture. Now, check this out. The people started out as servants, but he later made them rulers. And we see this, this idea, this principle in the Scripture. In John 15, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, check this out, no longer do I call you servants, but now I call you friends. Powerful. Imagine the disciples hearing that. Wow. What a great feeling to spiritually earn that title of friends. See, the Bible has timeless truths. And if I could digress for a moment, we're moving into a society. There is a war in this country. And a society that's increasingly wanting government to pay for more stuff. That's a double-edged sword. We want more stuff for free. As that continues to happen, eventually it becomes a totalitarian regime. You have to keep that in mind. The government is an entity with no compassion, with no love, and it, when it gets too big, it has a complete grip over all of our lives. I pray for my, my wife. You know, when we get, get down to pray, we pray for our country. We pray for a revival in this country. And I'm going to tell you something. There's more dignity when you earn it. When I was um, young, I, I got a paper route, one of my first jobs. And it was just me, my mom, and my sister. And, and we were, you know, back then they called it welfare. We didn't have a lot. We were poor by some standards. And we would go to the store, and there would be a big bin of sneakers for a dollar a pair of sneakers. We called them, and at, at school they made fun of me. They said they were skips. 
I'm dating myself. Some of you, <laughs> you go, what skips? Oh, Staten Island thing, but uh, you basically would take the shoes and put it up to your feet and, for a dollar a pair. My mom couldn't afford much, but when I was, when I was doing my paper route, I started getting money that I earned. And I bought like my first pair of pro keds <laughs> back in the day. But it just felt so good for me to earn something. Getting up early, I hated that. Delivering papers in the rain and, and just buying my first pair of pro keds. So earning is a good thing, you know. And I'm going to tell you something. I have to be careful with that word in, in the Christian world because it, it isn't like this world. So let me just put a little caveat there. We do things because we desire to please the Lord. We're not looking for some great position in the kingdom. Jesus rebuked his own disciples for having that mentality. That's the way the world thinks, guys. You want to be the greatest? You need to love. You need to serve. So just make sure we understand that. But going back to the, the example that I gave about the government, I worked for the government for 25 years. And I can tell you that the government makes an awful spouse, an awful mommy, an awful daddy, and a terrible God. So just keep that in mind. The Bible has timeless truths. Verse 19, it says, After a long time the Lord came. See, this is the problem today. You witness to people, or even Christians, they just think they have all this time. And that's what the beauty of Jesus' parables. They're so powerful. After a long time, the servants were like, yeah, it's been a few weeks. And in, uh, in another parable, th the main guy, the manager, starts beating his, and getting drunk and beating his fellow servants, and the master comes at a time that he didn't expect. So we don't really have time. I'm hearing more and more um, true accounts of those that have passed away untimely. Nobody could figure it out. All of a sudden, the person just went. We don't have time. You know, people live like they'll never die. They'll, they'll live like they could just get right at some um, nebulous point in the future. Oh, yeah, I'll eventually, I'll eventually. That's sad. Because they didn't expect, they didn't know when he was going to come back. Some were faithful and some were not. We also see that God has not called us to be successful, but faithful, but reliable. Can God depend on you? Can God depend on me? If that person that he wants us to talk to and encourage, can he depend on us? You know, that's, that's another term of faithfulness. Not just the faith in believing in God, but faithfulness being reliability, dependability. You know, there's some that, that visit nursing homes and read to the elderly and the sick. There are some that have one-on-one -on -one ministries. The prison ministry, it's not glamorous. I remember years ago before I was a pastor, prison ministry, was, it was awesome. Others support missions, ministries, churches, and they want to remain anonymous. And you know what? They're never going to be on TV. They're never going to get the limelight. It doesn't matter, though. They're making talents. They're making talents. Spurgeon, I love this, on this subject, in this parable, Spurgeon said this, quote, It is not well done, thou good and brilliant servant, for perhaps the man never shone at all in the eyes of those who appreciate glare and glitter. I love that, because that could have been written today in the age of glare and glitter ministry. He continues, It is not well done, thou great and distinguished servant, for it is possible that he was never known beyond his native village. The unsung heroes, the quiet folks, the ones in countries where there aren't video cameras and iPhones and stuff, and God sees what they do. It doesn't have to be on YouTube. 
It is, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And in verse 21, he says, Enter into the joy of your Lord, of your Lord. To truly serve the Lord is, is joy and it's fulfilling. And I think I'm saddened and, and part frustrated, not mad, to see people whose lives are wholly dysfunctional, unfulfilling, maybe completely self-centered, and they just, there's no in interest. There's no interest in the things of God. You know, stuff doesn't satisfy. Again, I became a Christian 25, 26 years old. I lived on both sides. And back then I thought, well, the nicer car. I used to, I used to tinker with my cars and make them faster. Uh, and you, you could never get the, you know, the quarter mile, you drop it a half a second, you've got to mess with something else, and it's a never-ending pursuit. Whatever your deal is, shopping, closet, this closet's filled, I filled up that closet, hoarding, whatever it is, those things don't make us happy. I always remember if I ever got a, a new car, and it was never anything like fancy, just the new car smell. But after a few weeks, it went away. Oh, this is just a car like, and, you know, don't, don't, don't scratch it. Don't, get, don't put your gum wrapper. After a few months, it was filthy. There was stuff all over the floor, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I, I'm, I'm getting off topic here. <laughs> but the point is that stuff, it doesn't make us happy. And you try to convince people that the Lord, there's joy, there's fulfillment, there's contentment, there's peace. But it's only until they taste of that fruit and really jump into it, do they, do they experience it? And it's sad to watch someone keep trying these ways that don't work. It don't work. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look. There you have what is yours. Again, very similar to the parable of the minas, but this is five out of seven is the lie. Why is it a lie? Because it was the Lord who provided the principle. It was the Lord who provided the capital, so to speak, to do the investment. So what he's saying is he's really, it's a character assassination on his Lord. You know, and people do that. They don't want to take personal responsibility. So someone has to get the blame. Because certainly it can't be me. Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Therefore you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Six out of seven is the shame. I don't believe the Lord was agreeing with him and saying, yeah, I'm really a rotten person. But if you really believe this, then these are the things that you should have done. He had no problem with the relationship with the other two guys or gals. But if you really felt that about me, if I was such a harsh, you know, austere, mean person and you were that afraid of me, should have put what I had in the bank, and you wouldn't have lost anything. Plus, there would have been interest, and I wouldn't be upset with you right now. This was purposeful slothfulness. You know, people can be great at making money, at pleasing their boss, pleasing their family, 
having the best for them and their families, but be completely unreliable and unfaithful, willfully when it comes to the things of God. And, and we can make excuses. All of us here can make excuses. And then when we meet God, He'll be like, He'll say something, and we'll realize, man, my excuse didn't hold up. Warren Wiersbe on this says this, he says, what we do not use for the Lord, we are in danger of losing. Now that's something to consider. But sadly, some will hear that and go, oh, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this paycheck. I don't want to... Instead of considering the Lord, they're considering what they might lose material-wise. And this is how twisted the human psyche can be. Highly intelligent people drank literally the Kool-Aid under Jim Jones. Doctors mixed it. Lawyers. Highly educated people. So education... And savviness is not a good reason for godliness or spirituality or even common sense sometimes. But we can, we can deceive ourselves, and we do it every day. That's the biggest problem, is self-deception, I believe, even among Christians. Because we live in a really whacked-out society. And we can't be like them. I want to jump to another scripture, speaking about, and this is an extreme example, but I like the example that came to my mind. Judges 16, 20 through 21. This is Samson. This guy was given everything. He was the king. Nobody could take this guy down. He could do whatever he wanted. He could walk wherever he wanted because nobody could take him out. However, he's messing around with Delilah and he's got all these great gifts and blessings from the Lord. And in verse 20, you know, she keeps trying to bind him and what's the secret of your strength? You guys know the story. So finally, she, he does tell, tell her the secret, and she cuts his hair. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. This is scary. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He didn't get any warning. He didn't get a postcard. The MV didn't say it's, it's going to expire. You better re-up it. None of that stuff happened. The Lord just left him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Wow. He didn't honor the Lord with what he had. He kept doing self selfish and self-centered things. The Lord let it go on for a while. We, we, we see things and we're like, well, how come we get, there's no justice. Believe me, there is justice. The Lord's just merciful, even for the wicked. He lets them go, he lets them go, he lets them go. And even if it's not in this world, believe me, it's in the next. That's the beautiful thing about justice. It will be meted out. But Samson, he lost his strength. He lost his eyes. He lost his freedom. And worse, he lost his privilege to serve the Lord. Folks, we cannot presume upon the Lord's blessing. And we cannot say... When I read that, I was cut to the heart. I'm thinking, I remember reading it about Samson, about King Saul, and the Lord left him. At some point, he left. He departed. Could you imagine Samson getting up? You know, I'm going to throw down with the Philistines again. This is going to be a, a shooting fish in a barrel. Squares up with them, and they start hitting him. And they start rocking him. They start ringing his bell. And he's probably thinking to himself, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. Then they overpower him. They hold him down. And without anesthesia, they gouge his eyes out. And then they make him a slave. 
However, some people look at that as the issue. The issue is that he lost the Lord's blessings. You know, there's, God is fair. He's a fair God. We can't keep doing these things and setting a bad example and expect that, like Warren Wiersbe said, that we might lose something. They're his blessings. He wants us to use them. Verse 29, last two verses. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Don't misread that. Again, we can read the culture of our country into the parable, and we're going to be very upset with God. Get that out of this room. We're not in America. We're not, we are here in the Lord's presence. What he means is for those that are unfaithful, for those that have been blessed, for those that spurn his, his desires and his wishes, for those that set a really bad example, what that person has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fate of the one-talent man. Now, scholars are divided. I don't want to go through the different arguments. Well, what happened to this guy? Some believe that the punishment was proof that he really wasn't a believer. He was more of a make-believer. Similar to the citizens. If you remember the parable of the Mina, right? That we won't have this man rule over us. Does the one-talent man represent maybe an unbeliever who was given natural blessings and abilities and his or her whole life used what God gave them only to serve themselves. Is the person a make-believer or are they an unbeliever? I think his or her lack of spiritual fruit exposed the truth. God calls us to bear fruit as believers. According to Matthew 5.45, it says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Make-believers, unbelievers, and true believers all get blessed. The exposure comes later. And you know what I love about the parables? Again, it, to me, it's all perspective. That's, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm upset. I don't, I don't like what you read. I don't like God's Word. This is grace. This is mercy. God is saying, while you're still alive and your brain is functioning and you're breathing right now and you're listening to this parable, change. And that's what Jesus did. All the way up to, you know it's amazing? His disciples, and I, I don't think I'd be any different, they, they whined about stuff, they complained, they... They wanted worldly things. And Jesus, he, all the way to the, to the cross, you think Jesus would say, guys, can I get a moment? I'm going to be crucified. He still washed their feet. He still prayed for them. It's, that's how God is. We whine. We complain. We're humans. But this is mercy to say, guys, don't do this. Ladies, don't do this. Do, stop now. And there's so many people that at some point in time, they know the day and practically the hour that they went from a worldly believer to a true believer, to a solid believer, or they went from an unbeliever to a believer, and they just know when it was because the Word changed their hearts. You know, I think of ball players, incredible talent, making millions of dollars. Some of them are Christians. Some of them never give glory to the Lord. Brilliant business people, investors, impressive. How they take risks. I wouldn't take that risk. If it goes wrong, I lose everything. But they just have this heartbeat for investment, Build, building buildings, they can do all these amazing things, but never give glory to God. Or the adept politician or world leader who has a silver tongue has the respect of leaders across the globe, 
but never give glory to God. One day they will all stand before the Lord and give an account. And I don't know that God's going to say this, but he could say this. You see all that that you did? I gave it all to you. And what did you do? You never sought me. He's not going to be swooned by their popularity, by their money. It's just not going to happen. Seven out of seven, the conclusion. What have we done with our talents? What are we doing with our knowledge? What are we doing with our time, our money, our abilities, our, especially our spiritual gifts? What a crazy thing to use spiritual gifts to aggrandize ourselves in the world. That's nuts. The spiritual gifts are to, to give glory to God and to do things for his kingdom. Here it seems like the sin of omission is just as serious as the sin of commission. What we didn't do can be just as serious about what we did do in a wrong way. Sadly, some are very good at taking care of number one, but very lazy with the things of God. And it's serious to him. And here's the encouraging part. I, again, I have no problem teaching a convicting message, but you know what I always love to do? I always love to teach the silver lining. The part about, but we can change. But we can use our, you know, the dude with the one talent could have been enjoying himself with the dude with the two and the dude with the five. But he chose not to. But he could have been. And he could have had the same thing. One talent guy. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done, thy, thy good and faithful. One talent. Making one talent. But he chose not to do that. So Francis Chan, speaking to a group of Facebook employees, this is in the Christian Post, he explains why he left the helm of his thriving megachurch in California seven years ago. He says, according to the Bible, every single one of these people has a supernatural gift that's meant to be used for the body. And I'm like, 5,000 people show up every week to hear my gift, to see my gift, that's a lot of waste. Then I started thinking, how much does it cost to run this thing? Millions of dollars. He says, we're a body. I'm only one member. Maybe I'm the mouth, but if the mouth is the only thing that's working and I'm trying to drag the rest of the body along chewing on the carpet, I love this guy's heart. He le I can't imagine what he was making, but this, this really shows where how he, this guy's got a good heart okay this next part well he, he says waiting to hide from he, he spoke about wanting to hide from that weird celebrity thing he also realized that he missed speaking about himself the old Francis Chan you know that stupid kid who fell in love with Jesus in high school and started calling everyone in the yearbook that he knew to tell them about Jesus because he was so concerned about their eternal destiny this is powerful. If you ever get a chance, read it, the whole thing. I'm not going to read the whole thing up here, but he, he noticed he started to change. He noticed that everybody came to see him. And you know what? A good pastor will say to everyone, come on, let's get involved. Everybody do something. You know, and, and it's so cool because I've been talking in the last few months about celebrity Christianity. I've been talking about the church being a place to participate, not spectate. And then I read this article, and I, I, sometimes I just scream. I just yell, wahoo, or something like that. Because I'm just so excited because it's like the Holy Spirit's confirmation. But he makes a great point. So what does he do now? He left that whatever salary he was getting, I don't know. He walked away from it to start these little house churches. 
To me, that's impressive. That's the real deal. Zechariah 4.10, don't despise the day of small things. And I'm just going to leave you with this. Talking about investments, these are investments. So those that were listening were paying attention. Because like today, you, you know, people want to hear of success and maybe how they could be successful and how they could you know, climb the ladder and all this stuff. So Jesus tells this story, but it's, it's, it's packed with spiritual truths. While they're focusing on the, the earthly part of it, he throws in the whole thing about spirituality. Now that I have your attention, let me tell you what the symbols are. Now that I have your attention, let me tell you what God really wants. This stuff's not important. I know I kind of pulled you in with that, but it's not important. God has made a huge investment in us. And he didn't use money. He didn't use capital. He didn't use lumber. You know what God used? The blood of his son. The blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I've been a Christian for almost 25 years, and you know what? It never gets old to me. I get it. I'm going to serve him until my last day. Every single person person sitting in here he has made an investment in you he sent his done son to die for your sins we likewise should make an investment in the things that are important to him and you know what is he asking us to do something so difficult monumental build a, a skyscraper he's not asking us to do that do whatever you can with whatever i've given you to bring people closer to the kingdom of heaven isn't that a good thing you know, we, we, you see this stuff on the news, and it's, it's so altruistic. It's good, benevolent. We, we, don't, we don't like poverty. We don't like injustice. We want to see world peace. We want to stop the wars. Let me tell you something. When the Lord comes back, all that stuff's going to go away. It's going to be gone. And the question is, did we make an investment in the kingdom? Were we part of at least planting the seed? When I was a new believer, I was so hyper. People didn't want to talk to me. But at least I planted a seed. You know, I didn't always close the deal. Like, All right, enough. We'll talk about this next week. Maybe like Francis Chan, I don't know. But let's consider the ministry and the investment that God has for us, looking forward to entering into the joy of the Lord and its fulfillment. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.